I'm going to speak to you tonight on the subject. It's just words. I have, and it's my text, my primary text is from Genesis 27. But I want to catch three background passages. That Genesis 27 must be read in remembrance of what has preceded this. In Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house. When God calls you, He calls you away from everything. He calls you exclusively to Himself. That doesn't mean you can't be a good mother, a good father, a good son, or a good daughter. You're at your best as a human being in your relationships with other people when you're with your God and you're solely, totally devoted to Him. And so the Lord had said unto Abram, Get out of your country, from your kindred, from your father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And we know that Hebrews tells us that he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder... We're still looking for that. We who answer the call of God, we're still looking for this city. We're looking for this land. We found it, and yet we're journeying, aren't we? We're progressing to this great land. And the Lord said to Abram, I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. Those whom God blesses and who know God are the real blessing in this earth. It is not, it is not the wealthy, the educated, the high class that do not know God that are a blessing. It is the people who know God that are a blessing on this earth. In fact, it is for the people who know the Lord that the sun rises and sets. Thou shalt be a blessing. And then he says... I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is the call of Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant blessing in which the Lord is going to bless Abraham and his descendants. You found basically this repeated. We'll not take the time to read Genesis 17, 5 through 8, Genesis 22, 17 and 18. But I do want to call your attention to Genesis 25. This is very important before we get to our main text. Genesis 25. Beginning verse 24. And when our days... To be delivered were fulfilled. Behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. Jacob was a plain man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau. Remember this. 
Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. But Rebekah loved Jacob. In Jacob sod pottage, he was making a soup. And Esau came in from the field and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with some of that red stew. For I am hungry, I'm faint, I'm about to die. Wherefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. What profit shall this birthright do to me? Just words. What profit shall these words be to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and soup of lentils, and he did eat and drink, and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now we turn to our text this evening, the story that we're going to read from Genesis 27. Beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see. Now he wasn't completely blind, but he was, his sight was going. He called Esau, his eldest son, and said unto him, My son. And he said unto him, Behold, here am I. And he said, Behold, now I am old, and I know not the day of my death. Neither do you. You may die sooner than you think you will, and you may die long after you think you will die. You don't know. But he says, I don't know when I'm going to die, but therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver, and thy bow, and go out into the field and take me some venison. And make me tasty food, savory food. Food such as I love, and bring it to me, that I may eat, and that my soul may bless thee before I die. And Rebekah heard when Isaac spake to Esau his son. And Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. Because you see, he's got to buy this birthright, if you please, with a meal. And Rebekah spake unto Jacob his son, her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau thy brother, saying, Bring me venison and make me savory food that I may eat and bless thee before the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Go now to the flock and fetch me from there two good kids of the goats. And I will make them savory food for thy father, such as he loveth. And thou shalt bring it to thy father, that he may eat, and that he may bless thee before his death. And Jacob said 
to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. We're going to get caught at this. It won't work. And notice his scruple was not on the fact that what they were doing was a big lie and deceit, but his scruple was the fact that he thought it wouldn't work. He'd like it to work, but he was afraid because how are you going to pull this trick off? Esau being hairy and I'm a smooth man, he'll feel us right off very quickly. My father, preadventure, will feel me and I shall seem to him to, a, to be a deceiver. And I shall bring a curse upon me and not a blessing. And his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse. My son, only obey my voice and go fetch them for me. And he went and fetched and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food. Notice, such as his father loveth. How many times is that repeated in the text? Such as his father it plays into the story. Such as his father loveth. And Rebekah took goodly raiment of her eldest son Esau, which were with her in the house, and she put them upon Jacob, her younger son. She put the skins of the kids upon the, of the goats upon his hands and upon the smooth of his neck. And she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. And he came to his father and said, My father, and he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said unto his father, I am Esau, thy firstborn. Wrong. What's that? What do we call that? It's a lie. I am Esau, thy firstborn. I have done according as you have bid me. Arise, I pray thee, and eat of my venison, that, my soul may, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac said unto his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord God brought it to me. Men, God can't be deceived, but men can be easily deceived, especially if you throw a little religious talk in there, little devout sounding words. The Lord thy God brought it to me. What's that? A lie? How in the world is a guy going to lie and get blessed for it? Impossible, you say. No, no, no. God's going to bless this boy. But he's lying. Why is it? Let me... The Lord God brought it to me. He sent me good speed. He favored me. And Isaac said unto Jacob, Come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son Esau or not. And Jacob went near unto Isaac his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he discerned him not, because his hands were hairy as his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, Are you my very son Esau? And he said, I am. 
And he said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's venison, that my soul may bless thee. And he brought it near to him and he did eat and he brought him wine and he did drink. And his father Isaac said unto him, come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him. And he smelled the smell of his raiment and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is the smell of a field which the Lord hath blessed. Therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth, plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee and the nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren and let thy mother's sons bow down to thee. And here's the Abrahamic blessing. Cursed be everyone that curses thee. And blessed be he that blesses thee. And it came to pass as soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing Jacob. And Jacob was scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father. That Esau his brother came in from his hunting. And he had also made savory food and brought it unto his father and said unto his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's venison that, my, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac, his father, said unto me, Who are you? And he said, I am thy son, thy firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly and said, Who? Where is he that hath taken venison and brought it to me? And I have eaten of all before you came and have blessed him. Yea, and he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, just words. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry and said unto his father, Bless me even also, O my father. And he said, Thy brother came with subtlety and hath taken away thy blessing. And he said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said unto Esau, Behold, I have made him thy Lord, and all of his brethren I have given to him for servants. And with corn and wine have I sustained him. And what shall I do now unto thee, my son? And Esau said unto the father, Hast thou but one blessing, O my father? Bless me, even me, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Now make no mistake, the blessing can get away from you. You don't want... To lose this blessing. Now we, this is, would you say that this is an interesting story? Why is such a deceitful trick recorded? Is there some deeper meaning here than just the obvious lies that are taking place? The scheming, the fraud, the parental disrespect, the insubordination of the wife to her husband? The cold-hearted attitude that Rebecca took toward her firstborn. What's going on here? Was not Jacob right when he said to his mother as she was 
outlining to him her scheme. Mama, this is a risky and a dangerous plot. And if it's discovered, it will bring my father's curse upon me and not his blessing. Verse 12. I don't think we should go through with this shenanigan. Is it that important? Are these words that important? And by the way, the Abrahamic covenant blessing that was passed down in the early days of the patriarchs was not just the historic word of God. It was articulated orally under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. When Isaac spoke that day, he spoke in the Holy Spirit. He was inspired. And he consciously passed on from himself, if you please, the blessing uttered in the Spirit, the Spirit of prophecy, the blessing that was pronounced in those words were at that time an effectual blessing. It was sanctioned by no less than Almighty God who gave it. Oh yes, they were just words. But oh, what words. A literal blessing. In fact, in verse 33, did not Isaac, when he found out how he had been cheated and, and, and lied to by Jacob, did he not tell Esau that this blessing that he had given to the younger son could not be revoked? It was something that was stood. Because God was in it. Now here what we're going to do is gain at least three particular lessons from this story. Number one, we have a lesson on the great micromanaging of God's sovereignty over everything in this world. And brothers and sisters, that's something that we need to be reminded of. The children of God often need to know that their father, this is our father's world. And he is in control. And we're going to see the extent and the detail of divine sovereignty. We're going to see the overruling hand of God that is exercised over the undermining hand of man. Then number two, we're going to look at the fact that it is a lesson on the human responsibility. We're going to see in the story that the law of the harvest that we find in the book of Galatians, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. We're going to see that the law of the harvest is inflexible and God will diligently maintain it. Thirdly, we're going to see a lesson on soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. We're going to see the amazing acting out in this story of the very dynamics associated with true salvation. For you see, there's a spiritual meaning inside the actions of Jacob. Just as many stories in the Old Testament are allegorical. So there is some type. There's actually the true blessing of God that's conferred upon Jacob. But my, it is the blessing. And had not God revealed that He loved Jacob. And He was going to give grace to Jacob. 
But oh, how deeply Jacob wanted the blessing. And so we're going to see the acting out of the dynamics of salvation. First of all, let's consider the overruling hand of God. Exercise over the undermining hand of man. In, in verse in chapter 25, 28, you remember the fact that the scripture says, Isaac loved Esau. Why? Because Esau was whatever father had pride in. Esau was strong, cunning, skillful. While Jacob was a mama's boy, timid, hanging all over his mama's apron strings. Esau was the kind of son that you could be proud of, but not only because of his strength and his cunning, but man, could he cook. (laughs) He could barbecue those animals like nobody else, and his father became addicted to his food. Be careful, folks, what you develop an addiction to. All things are lawful for you, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful for you, but don't be brought under the power of anything. Better watch our addictions. So here it is. Isaac loved Esau. And then in chapter 27, look, verse 3 and 4, he he calls him, Esau, to go out and to bring him some venison. Take me some venison and make me savory food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless thee before I die. Now, what did God say to Abraham in the beginning when he gave him the blessing of the covenant? Abraham, you do this, you do this, and I'll give you a blessing. You know, you've got to be careful about making merchandise of the good, free gifts of God. Isaac said, I want, I'm going to bless you, but I'm, I'm going to bless you over a bowl of stew that you're going to go out, you're going to find. Take your, notice, work involved here. Take your bow, your weapons, your quiver, your bow, and go out in the field and take me some venison. That wasn't necessarily an easy task. But here we're going to see that and thank the Lord for His sovereign, wonderful grace that works good in spite of enormous mix of human failure. Beloved, we have reason to praise our living God tonight because He can work Good. And he can bring about his good purposes of grace in spite of human failings. In fact, what the amazing thing, everyone in the story is outside of the perfect revealed will of God in some way. In fact, we must read the story in light of two previous events. In Genesis 25, 22, and 23, God made clear from the very beginning to Rebecca and Isaac both, who was his chosen. That the younger was his chosen one. 
that it was going to bypass, if you please. We find that statement. In fact, I would have you to turn to the New Testament explanation of the whole affair in, in the book of Romans chapter 9. We're talking about the doctrine of God's effectual sovereign grace here. Romans chapter 9. You're familiar with this passage. Romans 9. Listen to this. Beginning verse 11. For the children not being yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. You mean God has an eternal purpose of election? That God knows and that that which He bases His choice to give grace to a man is not based upon any work, but upon His own free will, upon His own desire to show mercy upon whom He will show mercy? Well, Jacob is an illustration of this fact. So here, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. And it is going to stand. God's purposes at the end of the day will stand. Regardless of the failings of men. Regardless of the lies of men. Regardless of the scheming. Regardless of anything. Thank God His purposes of grace will stand. And not be thwarted or not be defeated by the scheming of men. It was said unto Rebekah. The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. So here we find that we must read this whole story in light of the fact. And did not Isaac know this? That it was his younger son that was marked out from, for the blessing? And then you must read this story, if you please, of that transaction that showed what Esau thought of his birthright. Do you remember? In Genesis 25, 29 through 34, it was made very plain. Esau came in from the field hunting. He was starved. You know, we use this term. Do you think he was really at the point to die? No. But the point was, like we all say at times, I'm starved to death. And Esau had in good conscience that day when I, when Jacob said to him, sell me your birthright. If you want some of my stew, why don't you give me your birthright? I want to buy it. He had bread and he had this pot of stew. Red beans and rice. And Esau thought he had made the deal of a lifetime. He thought he made a smart choice. His attitude was, I'm dying of hunger. What good is this right of the firstborn going to do me anyway? You know, Esau acted out all of his life this particular worldview. It doesn't matter about tomorrow or what's coming ahead. Now is important. Today matters. Right now. That was his worldview. So Esau traded the blessing he was naturally entitled to, the Bible says in Hebrews 12 verse 16, for one morsel of food. Can you imagine? Giving away the blessing, trading it. For one morsel of food. 
Small return. And by the way, at the end of the day, for everyone who dies lost, you will have traded your soul for something that was a bad deal. Small return for a loss that has eternal ramifications. And so therefore, Isaac knew of this. Rebecca knew. So it's not just Jacob and his dear mother who is scheming and conniving to thwart the will of Esau. It is Isaac and Esau that are scheming to get the inheritance business settled before anything can be done to change it. He said, I'm old and I do not know the day of my death. Did you know he was to live 60 more years? Isaac, would be 180 years old when he died. He was about 120 at this time, according to Genesis 35. You see, what he was wanting to this, he was aware of this thing, but Esau was his favorite. He wanted to get this inheritance business settled. You see, it's not just mama and son that are scheming, it's daddy and son that are scheming to get this thing taken care of. And this is where God stepped in. God took note and arranged things so that Jacob, not profane, unbelieving, irreligious, worldly-minded Esau, would receive the inheritance of the Word and the blessing of God. Shall the petty, peevish taste of Isaac, who is addicted to the savory food, that Esau can prepare, shall that thwart the eternal counsel and the eternal purposes of God? Shall one who despises the Word of God and chooses the temporary things of this world above eternal values, shall they be preferred above those who care and desire more than anything in life to have the blessing? So we see the sovereignty of God. I wonder why Rebecca just heard of that conversation that day. And you think about this. Have you ever tried to sew leather together? I was working on a knife sheath last week trying to sew leather together. Can you imagine this kind of scheme? Sewing goat skins together and putting them on the arms of your son. What a clumsy knee-jerk Scheme. How could something like that be pulled off with success? I mean, really. You might as well tie horns on his head and call him a deer. <laughs> I mean, look at it. The feel had to feel right. The stew had to taste right. It wasn't venison. Now it sure was doctored up and mama knew how to fix it. But it wasn't wild game. The smell had to smell right. The story had to sound right. Beloved, it's an amazing thing how wonderfully God worked in this situation. He overruled, if you please, 
the free and voluntary acts of men to bring about his ultimate sovereign goodness and grace to Jacob. God saw to it that his prophecy would be fulfilled. That the elder would serve the younger. You know what this encourages us? If we have believed in Jesus, God's favor and grace, it doesn't matter who's against us. If God is for us, what do the schemes of man matter? Oh, my friend, let us not lose sight of this thing that God is in this story. God is working His grace toward His favorite, His chosen. God will see that He's blessed in spite of everything. Well, what about the failures of men? What about the lies? Does that mean God sanctions the lies? How in the world can God bring about His sovereign goodness in the midst of failure and sin and lies and shortcomings of men? You better, you better be glad He does it. If God didn't work in spite of our faults and shortcomings and weaknesses and failures and lies and... If he didn't overrule, there would be no salvation for anyone. But I want to show you this. This is what we move on. Not only do we see God's sovereignty over the scheming of man, he micromanages his will. But there is a parallel lesson that is clear, that is also in view. And it is of human responsibility and the consequences. For you see... The inflexible law of the harvest is being played out. Isn't it amazing? God gets what He wants, but everybody in the picture is not going to get what they want. Yes, Jacob will be blessed, but no one is going to get by for the wrongdoing they're responsible for. What do you mean, Brother Don? I mean this. Your choices and decisions and actions have consequences that not even a parent is smart enough to override. I'm thankful that God forgives sins, but we need to know this. There are consequences for our actions. And we cannot turn around and blame the sovereignty of God for our own personal sins and failures. Everyone This is a marvelous story that teaches us that be sure your sins find you out. In what way? Look, number one, Esau reaped the bitter fruit of selling off his birthright that afternoon. Do you hear him crying? Well, Esau, that was a sin that took place a long time ago. But some sins have long-term consequences, folks. Some decisions you make will follow you for a lifetime. So it was with Esau. Listen to the inspired commentary in the New Testament on this. Hebrews twelve seventeen. For you know that afterward, this is Esau. Afterward, and by the way, there's always an afterward after the sin. It's not just the sin that you're committing. It's the afterward you need to be concerned about. There's always a aftermarket effect of the iniquity that we do. 
For you know that afterward, after the sin, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. Now the saddest thing in this commentary is this statement. He found no place of repentance. That is, there was no way to change Isaac's mind. Why? Because God shut the door. There was no way for Esau to correct his mistake. Though he sought it carefully with tears. Esau, you're reaping what you sowed. Just words. They didn't mean much. You despise them, don't you remember? You held them in contempt. The blessing of God meant nothing to you. You would gladly trade God's blessing on your life for a temporary act of pleasure. Isaac reaped for sowing to the flesh. How many times do we read that statement? Such as your father loved, such as I love. He was addicted to savory meat. Look. Verse 4. And make me savory meat such as I love. And bring it to me. That my soul may eat. It's all around eating. Verse 21 and 22. And Isaac said unto Jacob, Come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee. What? That I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son Esau or not. Verse 22, And Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him. Verse 24, And he said unto him, Are you my very son Esau? And he said, I am. Verse 25, And he said, Bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's visit, that my soul may bless thee. And brought it near to him, and he did eat, and brought him wine to drink. And then in verse 27, He came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his raiment. Do you see this in the mix? It, and by the way, it's an interesting fact that Esau sold the blessing for a bowl of stew. Jacob bought the blessing for a bowl of soup. Now Isaac is willing to give the blessing away for a bowl of stew. His appetite, his senses, the flesh got the best of him that day. And what I'm, the point is this, beloved, natural senses and your natural understanding can be very misleading when you fail to acknowledge the Lord and to be led of the Spirit. What does the Scripture tell us the recipe of life is? Acknowledge the Lord in all thy way and lean not into thy own understanding. 
In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Was he praying? Lord, help me to do the right thing. Lord, direct my activity today. No, it was flesh senses that he was leaning on. And then in verse 33, we find him trembling very exceedingly. Isaac is sorely hurt. He's dumbfounded, confused, and disappointed. Obviously, his pettish jealousy favoring Esau above Jacob will now conclude in his grief and sorrow. The fact that he tried to circumvent, if you please, the will of God in giving heed, if you please, to his senses. He reaped sorrow, trembling exceedingly. I've messed up here. Following the flesh. And beloved, they that sow to the flesh, what shall of the flesh reap corruption? Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So Esau suffers, reaps the consequences of selling his birthright. Isaac reaps the consequences of, depending on his senses, Rebekah will suffer from this scheme. For you see, she reaps the ultimate loss of her favorite son. She sends him to Laban, her uncle. And by the way, it's interesting. She sends him just for a few days. Till Esau's wrath cools down. Just going to be gone for a few days. But he's gone for 20 years. She never sees her favorite son again. Bereaved she was. And not only... Was she bereaved of her favorite son? She reaped later rebellion and disrespect of the son who was discriminated against. And by the way, when you and your family start manifesting open discrimination, favoritism, one child above another, somehow, some way, that behavior will backfire. She reaped. How about Jacob? Does he get off Scott clean? Is he going to reap the consequences of being a deceiver in this passage? Look at his pilgrimage in Laban. Under Laban's deception himself. He reaps twofold, if you please, in this part of manipulating the situation. It was a long, hard, difficult row for Jacob to hold. Trying, disappointing treatment by his uncle Laban gave him time to think about his deception of his father and his brother. Jacob left in fear. In fact, he would live, live for 20 years in a mental prison of guilt for a long time to come because of the scheme to rob his brother. He left in fear, do you remember? And he returned in fear. You know, there's appropriate counsel in the New Testament that if we've offended anyone and injured anyone or wronged anyone, you know what you need to do? 
You need to get your conscience cleared in that matter and settle the issue. Remember, you, you know what Jesus said when you're coming to the altar and you're bringing your gift and there you remember that your brother has something against you? Something that you've wronged them in? Something that needs to be set right? Did not the Lord instruct us to leave first your gift at the altar and go and set that thing right? First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Yes, the inflexible law of the harvest. God is not thwarting His law of the harvest in this thing. He's overruling it all for His will to be done. But every one of these will suffer in some measure because of their personal failing in the story. But the final thing I'd like you to notice is the dynamics of individual salvation that are acted out in this story. And how indeed in a most vivid way. Well, you think of this. Wasn't it predestined that Jacob, whom was God's elect, wasn't it predestined that he should be the one to obtain the blessing? Absolutely. The grace of God is free and it's absolutely a gift that is in no way associated with works. Lest any man, the scripture says, should boast. But I want you to see something. Though Jacob was predestined and elect to receive the free grace of God. Look at the steps. The conflicts, the price that Jacob paid to get the blessing. You see, the first thing that he did, he exercised the faith in the words. Just words. But they were the words of God. They're the words that had a blessing in them. You see, this is the, one of the deep heart differences. Yes, God is at work giving His grace to Jacob, but Jacob exercised a faith in the words of the covenant that Esau did not. The blessing of Abraham. It's just words. What's so important about words? What's in this inheritance of the firstborn? Beloved, it was not just immediate, physical, tangible substance in the blessing. It was not anything you could eat or drink or touch or feel or smell or see. For the moment, that was what Esau wanted. It was a long-term blessing. It had eternal ramifications, if you please. This special blessing of the inheritance of the firstborn was the Word of God. And it was primarily spiritual. It represented the covenant God made to Abraham and contained the sum total of eternal salvation. You can read it in Genesis 12, Genesis 17, Genesis 22, and Genesis 28. It was a pledge of a personal relationship with that individual. I will be thy God. And you shall be my people. It was a pledge of a relationship. It was a promise of divine security. I will be with you. I will protect you. Just words. 
There were physical blessings, bountiful blessings of God upon the family. Temporal provisions would be provided. But it was a prediction of grace and blessings for the whole world. For you see, in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So it was the word of God. Jacob exercised a faith in those words that Esau did not. He had to have them. He believed them. Romans 4 Tells, that, tells us that Abraham, and that's what justified Abraham, that God gave him his word. and He, he believed it. So Jacob's desire for the blessing evidenced faith. In the words of God, a call for trust. It entailed the integrity of God. It was basically a promise of salvation by God. Through the seed, the blessing of God was bound up in these words to the firstborn. In a true sense, beloved, listen carefully. The blessing, the covenant blessing that God gave to Abraham in many essential things was no different than the promises made to us in the gospel. There is a spiritual eternal blessing to be found in this seed who is Christ. Just words. And because he believed the word, he valued the blessing, and he had to have it. And he was willing to pay the price connected to getting it. Could not live without it. What did it cost you, Jacob? In a sense, it cost him the same thing it cost you to get it. It's free, isn't it? Isn't it a free gift of God? Can you work for it? Can you pay for it? Can you merit it? Is there something you got at home that you can drag out and present to God and say, let's trade? It's a free gift, isn't it? All the way. But guess what? It costs you everything you got. All that you are. In a sense, receiving the blessing costs Jacob everything. Esau lightly esteemed his inheritance. He despised it, preferring the temporal things of this world. But Jacob prized the blessing. How much do you prize the spiritual blessings that are bound up in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus said, if a man come to me and hate not his father and mother, son or daughter, yea, in his own life, he cannot be my disciple. It's worth it. As the eons of eternity roll over your head when you're with Jesus in glory, you'll say, it was worth it. To give up all to have Him. He was willing to sacrifice His life in self-denial. He surrendered Himself. you see Him submitting totally to the will and the instructions of His mother? Do you see Him doing a grown man? He's a grown man actually. Listen, look at him submitting to mama. Being willing to be told what to do. Even in a scheme that seemed risky. Beloved, if you follow Jesus, you're going to have to get rid of your pride and give up your will and start submitting to his authority. You've got to be willing to do what you're told. 
You see him submitting to the word that was given to him. To be saved by the gospel, you must obey the gospel. You must yield up your heart and your life, no longer under the dominion of sin and Satan and self. You must submit to the instructions. That's what it is. Discipleship is to submitting to the instructions of God from now on. No longer are you in control of ruling yourself. And then Jacob said yes to the outside loss of his relationships. You see, even since he said bye that day to daddy and mama and brother. That's what Jesus said. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life. As long as your priorities is somebody in this world more than Christ, you're not a disciple. But when your ultimate priority fixes upon Christ to do His will, and He's more precious to you than any earthly relationship, then you can follow the Lord. So in a very real way, Jacob did lose his mother and father. He esteemed the riches of the blessing a greater gain than the loss you know, the will of our loved ones is a sneaky thing. If you, if you just fear what your loved ones think or what they say, that can keep you from doing the will of God. Your loved ones, if you follow what they want, they'll keep you out of heaven. Some of them, those that are not Christians. If you prefer to have their love above the love of God. And from this point on, Jacob turned around and was headed in a new direction. His life would never be the same. He is launched forth, if you please, on the life of a pilgrimage. In a sense, he would always be in pursuit and in transition. He would always occupy the place of an outsider, a stranger. A person on a journey, no longer at home in this world, but en route to a final destination with Abraham. First, you see, a new manner of life has come, a new sphere of existence. Life will never be the same. Just words, they meant something to him. How much he believed them. He would have them. He would forsake all. Yes, the days of familiar comforts and soft living and pampered fleshly lust, predictable routines was over. Just words. He's thrown himself open now for God. He will have God. God will speak to him. And God will lead him. God is welcome to do his work. He now will be taught, tried, shaped, and learned to think and act like the noble calling that's upon his life. His flesh will be chastened. The love of the world will be mortified. And a godly character will be developed. So at the very end, 
you'll find him just totally at peace, leaning on his staff, worshiping, ready to go home. Just words. That's what they are. How much do you prize them? What stock do you put in them? How much are you going to be sure they belong to you? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the great salvation that you provided in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the words that are so simple and plain. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. We thank you, dear Lord, for your grace to deal with us and call us away from ourselves, away from those harmful relationships, away from the old life into the wonderful new life of a pilgrimage and a great joy in the blessing of knowing you. May we follow on to know you, O Lord is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.